Welcome back, everyone. I'm Denise Hummel, and this is the Leading Tomorrow podcast series. I hope you're all well. It's been a while since our last episode, uh, but I am so excited today to have Bob Glazer join us. Bob is the founder and CEO of global partner uh, marketing agency Acceleration Partners and the co-founder and chair of Brand Cycle. A serial entrepreneur, he has a passion for helping individuals and organizations build their capacity to elevate. Bob has also twice been named to Glassdoor's list of top small and medium business uh, uh, CEOs and was selected as a top 22 conscious business leader of 2019 by Conscious Company. He's the author of the global best-selling book, Performance Partnerships and USA Today bestseller, Elevate. His newest book, Friday Forward, based on the popular Friday Forward series and its 200,000 plus followers, just released in September. So I'm eager to discuss this new release and so much more. Bob, it's so great to have you here today. Thank you for having me, Denise. And I want you to know I just finished Elevate and absolutely love it. Thank love you. it, love it. Um, I, I always say people tell me they finished now, like, but it is an hour, so that, it's, it's a smaller threshold than most books. Yeah, I mean, but I, but I think to, that's yeah. where the market is going. Yeah, uh, and, and frankly, I'm, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, a visionary, and what goes hand in hand with that sometimes yeah. is ADD, <laughs> and I don't have the attention span for this, you know, teeny tiny, really dense, you know, five hundred page book. I, I, I'm just give it to me, give it to me straight, and I will absorb it. And if it's appropriate, I'll you know. Well, well you know it. this the book the book model of a lot of things. You know they want to you know people turn in a thirty thousand page manuscript and they say great this has all the ideas but we need it to be x number of pages so that you know it can be x dollars. And uh, most people tell you about business books like I could have read a third of it right and then right. I got the point. So, so my, my publisher just cut it all in half. The retail price is half. The word count's half. Like I, so so I just think it's a it's a better value proposition. I, I do too. And yeah. we're all super busy nowadays and we need to absorb things yeah. relatively quickly in, uh, for them to be meaningful. So uh, so I want to get into kind of the foundation of your work, which is built on the concept of, of building capacity. Yeah. I wanted to just get your words on what, um, what build capacity means you know, to you, you know, in the context of your work. Yeah, so I, I guess there's the short short definition or, 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 or the long definition, and I can do both. But um, sure. <laughs> capacity building uh, is the method by which individuals, I think, seek, acquire, and develop the skills and ability to perform at a higher level in pursuit of their innate potential. I think that's important. So that's the that's the big definition. The the, the little one is I think it's actually the process of how we get better. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So in, in, you know, in terms of um, how this manifests itself, can you talk about that kind of on the personal yeah. side and then maybe on the professional side as well? Yeah, I mean, it started as a framework that I discovered uh, sort of intentionally by accident um, that, that we were doing it in our business. I didn't realize we were doing it. We always talked about investing in people holistically, that, that if we focused on increasing their ability holistically, we got the work benefit of that. And they got a benefit outside of that, that they attributed back to work. So it was this great kind of win-win. Um, it was only after sort of Friday Ford and that writing that book and then being told it wouldn't be a good book. And then 
going back to the drawing board and come up with Elevate that I sort of, I just went back and forth on what is this sort of pattern analysis and all of these things in terms of what, what I've done, what these Friday forwards that, that are causing people to do stuff, you know, make changes that I've never met before, our employees, kind of these high performers. And I, I just, you know, I kept <laughs> drawing concentric circles and things. And I finally said these four elements of, of capacity building, which is spiritual, intellectual, physical, and emotional. I just, I just saw it in every aspect of, of self-improvement. In terms of the individual manifestation of this yeah. versus say more of the collective community team capacity. Can you, can you speak to that? Yeah. I, I, I actually see it more as an individual thing. I think, I, I think that, individuals raise their own capacity and in doing so they encourage by demonstration of what they're doing other people in their lives to also raise their capacity um, I'm actually in the future thinking more about how to how to apply that to teams but I think the way that applies to groups right now is that people follow what they see people do and see them working like I always say if you if you tell someone in your family that they need to work out or they need to run like it doesn't go over that well. If they see you run 25 days in a row and walk in and say, oh, I'm feeling great or whatever, they are much more likely to then start, you know, emulating that behavior. So I think the same is true in, in capacity building. I think you, you develop the ability to then help others develop that ability. And how do you do that with humility without maybe, you know, seeming controlling or directional or saying, look what I'm doing and, you know, that sort of thing. In other words, how do you do that in a manner that is potentially empowering to others? Yeah. So I, I think it's show, not tell, right? So I talk a lot about the importance of me and the spiritual capacity and it's not, it's not religious. It would be helpful for me to define them all for, for a second. Please. Before, yeah. That so, would be so, actually very helpful. <laughs> so then we know what we're talking about. So spiritual capacity is about understanding who you are, what you want most, the standards you want to live by. For most people, it's kind of a core purpose, core values, why it's not religious um, in any way, I just couldn't find a term that was more aligned uh, after a lot of trying. Uh, in, intellectual is then when you know what you want, it's about how you improve your ability to think, learn, plan, and execute with discipline. So this is like your personal operating system, like you know, growth mindset, being proactive, setting your goals, establishing routines, habits, and accountability. Physical capacity is your health, well-being, and physical performance. Um, you know, maintaining. Uh, health and wellness, getting sleep, managing stress, kind of just the vehicle that has to carry you on your on your mission. And then the last one, which is the hardest for a lot of people, because it's about what's outside them is emotional capacity. So this is how you react to challenging situations, your emotional mindset, and, and the quality of your relationships. So it's sort of how you react to who you align yourself with, you know, in, in, in the world and how you react to things that that, that you don't control. So now, having said that, I'll go back and answer the question, which was, yeah. so, you know, I, I talk a lot about how core values was like a life changer for me in my business and otherwise. And if people were to look at what was I doing in 2013 before I did this and what did my life and business look like in the five years after, I'm not preaching to them that they should do their core values. I'm talking about this is what happened for me when I figure these things out and can make better decisions. And then I think eventually people are curious around, well, what would that look like for me <laughs> if I if I understood that? So that's why I think that people who who build their capacity start achieving at a higher level. And I think people are drawn to, you know, like what is Denise doing that I should be doing? Because Denise is 
getting it all done, right? I, I think that's just, you know, I don't mean the task list, but I mean, I meant more like in life. So I, I, I do think people are, are drawn to that. And, and, and when you do that, you inevitably want to help other people on the same journey. I mean, I, I think that dividing it into these four areas so that you can really kind of check in with how you're doing in all four areas, because it's easy to get out of balance, right? You might be in great business. Never. I'm, I'm never. Yeah. I say all the time, I, I have, look, I, I'm, I'm, it's a good checkbox. In, in launching my book on capacity building, I burn my physical capacity to the ground. Like, right. so it, 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 but I was aware of the impact that it has. So they're all connected. So the visual I like to use is a ball of four quadrants. That's like a mass. And when they're growing, you know, it's rolling. If you have one quadrant that shrinks or is off, that ball's going to, going to bounce, you know, all over the place. And it is, it is a constant aspect of realignment. Look, let's look at, let's use that example. So what happens when you're really tired, really stressed, physical capacity diminishes? Well, if it, how does that relate to spiritual? I kind of lose sight of the big picture and my goal and, you know, what I wanted. Like I, I, I don't have as much time to learn. I'm hurried. I'm making mistakes. I, I my relationships degrade, right? Because I I'm short with people. So you can see how when you, one of these gets out of whack, it really starts to, to drag on the other ones. So, so having those four quadrants means that you could be check theoretically checking in with yourself in these different areas, trying to create that balance, maybe, you know, um, pu- you know, pushing a little bit more on some of the things that might be too low in terms of capacity and maybe backing off of some others. But um, nevertheless, I, I'll say that, you know, as I continue to digest these four pillar, p- pillars and I do see the, the power of, of mastering it, I could also see where it could become overwhelming. Uh, how, do you, how do you address it without letting it you know, yeah. get to you. So there's this duality, right? N- none of these things are get rich quick uh, solutions. But on the other hand, there are very small things you can do each day in each one that 30, 60 days later, you start to notice a, a material difference. And you know that's some of the checklists in the book, specifically around what's something I could do tomorrow versus what's something I could do as more of a quarterly or lofty uh, goal. So I, I, I just think it's a it's a good framework for constant, you know, calibration. I, you know, one of the things that I, I say often, you don't go back to spiritual. If you can figure out spiritual capacity, that's one that tends to stay, you know, more, more, uh, you know, it doesn't change as much because it's kind of your, you're, you're solving it. But, but it's interesting. Like I, I'm in a phase now, and this happens like once a year, where a bunch of uh, extremely you know, when you have too many things going on, you, you figure out the top priority things versus the middle priority and you say no, right? But a, a bunch of extremely, I will say like A plus opportunities are in front of me now and it's 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 a lot. Um, but it actually forces me to go back to and say, look, I if I try to do all of this, I, I'll be successful at none of this. Go back to the values and the principles and be like, if I'm really honest with myself, which of these serves what I'm trying to do at, at a higher level? So, so it helps me with that prioritization, checking back in and saying, like, I know this person just presented you with this awesome opportunity, but is, is that opportunity actually distracting me from this other one, which really is fundamentally more aligned to where I want to be a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now? So is it the core values that is the kind of the thread that runs through everything, whether it's professional or personal, whether it's spiritual, intellectual, emotional, um, 
is is that really kind yeah. of the thread that ties everything together? I, from look, some people are super clear on a core purpose. It, to me, that's like a like a double PhD. Like <laughs> most people just need the college college degree. I think if everyone could intellectualize and and articulate their personal core values, the decisions that they would make against all of those matrices would improve dramatically. So, so the analogy I use around core values is I think we most of us notice them when they're violated. If I took a car and I drove it through a tunnel and it was pitch black and it's a nice Ferrari, I'm going to hit a wall. It's going to spray, you know, scrape up. I'm going to pull off the wall. Like then I'm going to hit the other wall, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm noticing when I hit the wall, but if I turn on the lights and painted the lines, like I get through the tunnel much faster without my car beat up. I think this is a lot of us, we drift into a core value violation and a core value violation hurts. Like it strikes at your core. That is, you know, that is what it is. But but without the ability to identify it or know what it is, articulate it, we, we find ourselves making a lot of wrong decisions. And, and the big, what I call the big three, you know, where do you choose to live? What do you choose as a vocation? And where do you choose to work? And who do you choose as a partner? If those aren't core value line decisions, they have a very low probability of, of success. So I, I do think that is a real, if you can solve that first, it, 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 it has a downstream effect of, oh, here's who I am and what I want. Then here's what I should focus on and, and develop skills and habits and, and get excited about my intellectual capacity. My health and wellness really matters to me because I don't want to screw this thing up because I now I know what I want. It's really important. And then here are the relationships that I need. And here's the stuff I need to care about and not care about um, relative to that. So I, I do think it is a, a, a vicarious circle. And I think it, if 80% of people, you know, it's probably 5% of people right now could, could have them on their desk. I think if 80% of people would have them on their desk, they would make such better decisions and that would work out for them in the long run. So what, what is, um, is there a, not easy, but straightforward process to develop or to really get to the root of what your values are? Because I would imagine, I mean, like, look, let's, let's say I, yeah. I have 10 or 12 of them, but I can't focus on all yeah. of them. If it's not you know, three or four, it's not going to be top of mind. But what is, what is the, what's the, what's a, you know, for our listeners who are just getting started and really trying to um, articulate uh, their core values. What 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 process do you recommend? Yeah, so I I like to figure things out. So when I went to this pretty intense leadership thing um, seven years ago, realized that I needed to be more of a values based leader because values were important to me, and I hadn't made that connection. I sort of went on the six to twelve month mission to turn my core values, and I found a bunch of stuff, researched it, built sort of a process for myself, and solved it. I then was passionate about that. And I took that process to our leadership teams and, and trained some of our leaders and learned, I learned how to turn it into something that we could train to someone else. And then I actually, I included some of those tips in the Elevate book, but it's a little more of an in-depth process. So I actually just turned it into a course and I'm about to release it. And I think it'll be one of the most important things I've done because it's about an hour course. It's not, I always stress, it's not an hour of work. You'll probably need to come back to it over and over or check in because it's a process, but building the actual process to do that. And, you know, some of the things that you do is you ask yourself questions across different uh, disciplines of your of your life and you write down all the answers and then you start to organize those and look for the themes, which should I, I probe certain questions to ask certain way that the theme should start to come out with different words. And then you will start to see a pattern of 
times when you did well, times when you didn't do well, people you gravitate towards, people that really frustrate you. People that really frustrate you to their core tend to have almost have opposite qualities of your core value, or they have a core value that is the antithesis of one of your <laughs> core values, right? If you, you, you might be someone who likes to plan and methodical, and they are just whimsical and by the seat of their pants and, and, and all that stuff. So you, you, you start to realize that. But I, I think it's a really important process. I'm actually like really excited about releasing this. I think it can put a lot of people, I, 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 I'm not in a position to teach it on a one-to-one -one basis. So I was trying to figure out a way to, to make that scale. Okay, well, that's very interesting. I think you and I intersect in that regard, because what you're trying to basically do is have people, you know, to some extent, change behavior, to some extent, reinforce habits. And of course, that's the journey that we're on yeah. at RevWork is, is using technology to, you know, and the, and the neuroscience of behavior change to leverage, um, you know, the development of habits. Yeah, so yeah, what's, and what's interesting, though, the change, I actually think it's a self-actualization thing. I, I think they they just, they know it, they just can't articulate it. So what they have to change is being aware and paying attention to it. They don't have to change who they are. The whole thing of core values is for most people, they run pretty deep. I think they can run back to 12, 13, four, like formative years and say, this is when this became really important to me. So you, you, you said, you know, basically that, you know, based on your responsibilities, uh, uh, your schedule, et cetera, that you can't really teach people this. So what, what is on a one-on-one -on -one basis, <laughs> on a one -on -one basis exactly. <laughs> yeah. So what is your way of, uh, you know, currently at least of, of, um, you know, bringing this to reality for as many people as you can possibly touch? Yeah, so the course should be out in in the next month. Uh, it'll be on my website, robertglazer.com. That I and that was built off several years of testing it with leaders at our, our company and seeing building a process that we we saw was scalable. We'll spend like a half day at our leadership training, actually working with them on their personal core values. And initially, they didn't really understand it. And then eventually, I was like, look, if, if you if you're developing yourself as a leader and you don't know these things, you're going to have huge blind spots. Um, one of my favorite moments was, or interesting was someone on the team realized that um, they had a core value. And this is very common. This puts the whole thing together. They had a core value because of something that one of their parents did that, that when they were younger, uh, just perpetually sort of embarrassed them um, kind of a behavior. And that, and so they have honed on, you know, you know, we all over undercompensate, not doing that and being the opposite of that, being very self-aware, reading the room. So they were actually struggling with people on their teams that showed any signs of that. They were disproportionately getting upset at them until they actually put it all together and had a discussion with them and said, look, self-awareness is really important to me. Like I, I, I need to be able to trust you and all this stuff and, and, and improve that relationship dramatically. So you're saying that there are some core values that people grow up with, whether consciously or unconsciously, that have to be undone because they're values that don't serve them now? Or did I get Not that undone, right? just, just aware, right? Aware, so okay. it, it, because in that case, um, the, 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 the core value was around, it was very important to be self-aware. The person had a parent who just, you know, would walk into a room too loud, can't read the room, right? So self-awareness became very important to them. So when people on their team showed signs of not being self-aware, they would disproportionately okay, respond to that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm not, they are not, no, you don't change, right, yeah. in that case. But you change how you manage a situation like that and how you communicate and you let people know, like as a leader, if that's sort of a, like there are people with trust. So often people with trust as a core value had a violation of trust very earlier in their life, almost every time. And, and they 
actually have to articulate this to their team because they are operating this way without the people knowing it. So they say that like they get someone disappears for an hour and they build this narrative and they get all pissed. So, so the only anecdote to that is go to the new program team. Look, trust is really important to you. And I actually am going to trust you like by default, but, but unfortunately, if you break that, we're going to have a really hard time recovering so much better to get that out (laughs) in the beginning of the relationship and say to that person, you might've not thought disappearing to the dentist was like a big deal, but like that for me brings up like much deeper, issues. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, I'm glad you said that because I'll, I'll give another example is, um, you know, you could have a, a core value of, you know, striving for achievement, being, you know, the best that you can be yeah. in its extreme form that could be called narcissism, right? Uh, depending on, you know, how aware you are of how you show up as yeah. you're trying to strive for excellence, be the best and so on. Um, and depending on which side of the spectrum you are, what your experience has been of that, you're going to have a different reaction to, uh, you know, to that. So I, I hope I'm not a narcissist, but I am a very, <laughs> I am a very constant and never ending improvement person. Me like my, one of my core we values better way, mm-hmm. but, but I will say that honestly to people before I hire them, I will say like, if you're looking to get better, you were bored in your last job, you're whatever, like you will never be, I said this to my last, you will never be bored a day in this job and you, it, you'll love it. Like, if you really are looking for sort of a middle lane thing or whatever, you will not like working for me. Like I, I try to be, <laughs> I just try to tell people, you know, how it is so that they can make that decision. I think same thing for company cultures. Like what is your authentic culture? Don't think it appeals to everyone. Find the people it appeals to and repel the people, you know, that aren't a good fit for it. So, I mean, before uh, when we were talking about the difference between individual uh, building capacity and team or, or the collective, you said that you're more focused on the individual, which I understand. But it seems to me that this whole core values concept, um, you know, lends itself pretty well to the organizational culture issues in the sense that if you know what you stand for as a yes. company. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? It's probably similar to you know, the various different personality things that people take, right? Whether it's Colby or strength finders or all these things, it's not a right or a wrong, but if you, the more, you know, the dynamics and what's going on with other people on your team, that team, those teams are much higher functioning. In fact, they, you know, they tend to be not functioning well if they're all the same type, but also if they're all different types and, but they can learn and understand where they are going to cross into potential issues, then, then those are the teams that really perform at a, at a high level. Do you, do you feel comfortable uh, giving me an example, either by sharing uh, with us your values or if that's too personal, your, no, I, 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 look, I share them very publicly to me. That's part of the, (laughs) that's part of doing it, putting it out in the world. So my, mine are uh, my very dominant one is, is find a better way and share it. Again, you can see that in everything we talked about and what I'm doing. Uh, self-reliance, uh, one, uh, one I coined, which, but it's very accurate, respectful authenticity, uh, long-term orientation and, and health and vitality. So if I'm doing things that check all those boxes, I am super happy uh, and engaged. If you asked me to, you know, do something that, you know, that was repetitive, dependent on other people, created disrespect and was focused on, you know, the short term, I would be a miserable person. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, that's, that's really 
uh, yeah, I, I, in fact, my decision to go forward with Friday Ford when I didn't know what it was, was very much because I just, I didn't know what it was, how I'd make money, like, but, but it, it just checked every box on my core value spectrum. And so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll keep doing this one. So for those of our listeners who may not have checked in for Friday Forward, can you explain a little bit about Yeah, sorry. So Friday Forward was a note five years ago, probably six now. I've been saying that for five years. Uh, I've been saying five years for a year um, that uh, I, I just started sending to my team after that leadership thing when I was trying to improve my morning routine. And I heard, you know, take some quiet time, read something positive, write something. Uh, and, and the reading positive stuff that we were given was a little too rainbow and unicorn for me. So I took some stories I had or quote, and I started writing this Friday inspiration note to my team. It was about just how you could get better, a story about someone interesting. And uh, the long, the short version of the long story is that that email started to spread outside the company and people were sharing it outside. And I ended up eventually opening it up to anyone who wanted to sign up for it. And it, and it reaches now a couple hundred thousand people every uh, Friday in, in, in 60 plus uh, countries. So it had nothing to do with my day job or what we did. And even early on marketing team and stuff was like, well, shouldn't we put our name on this or don't you want to tie it to the business? But I, again, I didn't know what or how it was. All I knew was that it aligned to all of my core values. And I'm, I'm glad, uh, I mean, it, it's led to two books. It's led to unbelievable stuff. So I, I'm, you know, I'm glad I used that as a decision-making rubric. So, so the values that you expressed are those uh, necessarily the organizational's uh, the organization's values as well. It's a good question. So, our organization's core values are own it, embrace relationships, and excel and improve. So, I, I think there are a lot of dotted lines to those. They're not they're not exactly because a, a, an organization's core values should reflect the best qualities of your best people. There's, there's a lot of recommendation that you don't figure out your organization's core values until you're at 10 or 20 people because you want it to not be aspirational. You want it to be reflective and you don't want everyone to be a clone of the, the founder. So I would say there's a lot of dotted lines, particularly to how we do some stuff. So like respectful authenticity, like that is our whole model of feedback. We have a whole model of open transitions. I did a TEDx talk on this and trying to change how people leave the company by being respectful, but being honest with them. So I, I would say how we do a lot of the stuff, I think does in some systems and processes align pretty directly. And we're all, we're very long-term oriented as a, as a company, possibly to our detriment, <laughs> given the industry that we're in. Well, I mean, I think it's clear that most organizations ref in some way reflect the values of the founder or at yeah. minimum the CEO, et cetera. And, and I think that, that that's a good thing because- um, there has to be some uh, alignment there, you know, to lead authentically. So right. you would not want to create an organization that is not a place that <laughs> aligned with your values or where you would want to work. I think a lot of people do that unintentionally, but you would never want to do that intentionally. So given the values that, yeah, um, you know, both the individual values, but also the organizational values that you've um, explained is there, can you give an example of how you embed that um, in your yeah. in your teams? So um, great example yesterday. So uh, yeah, these are not values on a wall. We're remote organizations, so we don't have a wall, but they are, they are in hiring, they're used in training, they're used in our meeting call outs, they are used in awards and recognition, they are used in decisions to move on from people. You would hear them so much that they're pretty operationalized. So. We actually had our, our global annual 
It's usually an in-person summit, but it was virtual. The last part of that event is this huge Golden Globe type core value awards where the whole organization votes. It's a huge honor to win, you know, one of the core value awards. And those are those are given out. And so someone actually wins that award for that core value as an organization. Like that, that is that's rewarding the behavior <laughs> that 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 you're looking for. Okay. And if, have you um in your work with other organizations, is, is there are there some techniques or things that you've experienced with other organizations that are worth repeating? Most of them are negative <laughs> from a volume standpoint. Um, you know, uh, one of my friends has a company, he has an awesome thing where they have the baton, like core value, they have core value, four or five core values. Each one has a baton. Every month they do an award, that baton is handed from one person to another. Like I always love that. But, but, To me, I I think a lot of these things are, they should be differentiated as to what it's like to actually work at your company. It should not be like integrity and teamwork and stuff that like are all are all pay to play, you know, table stakes these days. So I, I, that's why I actually used to not believe in this stuff five or 10 years ago, because I just was so cynical having been in the startup world and walked into all the companies and all the stuff painted on the wall and no one ever doing it or talking about it. But um, yeah, the companies that that I would say, you know, do this really well is you can see it in the behavior and decisions of, of their employees on a day-to-day basis. So ha- having said what you said, like, don't make them generic. Um, is, it, is it fair to say, though, that, you know, something like integrity and trust, you know, has to in some way be part of the core values of an organization just for it to survive? Yeah, but I, to me, and, and, and those are specific ones. There's a lot of controversy. I think some people too also try to use core values as external marketing. I think that's missing. To me, core values are the DNA of what makes someone successful. I think, again, you're trying to differentiate your organization. In theory, you would not hire anyone. I don't, I've never met an organization that says we're looking for people that don't have integrity, right? So that's why okay, I just- so it's, just, it's assumed. It, 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 it's a table stake, right? Okay. I, that, that, you know, the assumption is that in any good company, you would want someone who was integrity and is a decent person. But how do you know they're the right fit for your culture? Like self-reliant, you know, uh, sorry, like own it. Um, it. I can tell you a lot of people are not own it. They they, yep. they they might say they are, but they're not. They they want to hedge. They want to, you know, make sure that, you know, they're never poke out too quickly and can hide behind stuff. I mean, it is a very specific behavior. I would say most of the people aren't. Some people try to, you know, tell us that they are, but then quickly, very quickly demonstrate that they're not when they have a do it. And the people that that just own it, I mean, it's a different, different level. So even embrace relationships, you might say, someone might say, look, I'm, I'm about getting the job done. Like, I, I don't need to build the relationships. Like I just, if I just sell more, like that type of salesperson would not work in our organization. In fact, own it, embrace relationships form this concept of interdependence, which is we have a remote workforce, we always have. So we want people who are self-motivated, self-driven, but believe they're better as being part of a team. That's a that's a one to 2%. We hired one and a half percent of account managers who apply for, for, for a job here. We actually think that filter, all three of those apply, apply to very few people. There are other great companies and cultures out there that I would not want to work at. My friend has a company. They're all, they're more, they're pranksters. They wear funny colored jackets. Like it's not me. It's not naturally, you know, they probably have a core value of levity and not that I'm overly serious or a slave driver, but, but, but that's, 
that we're not the kind of like wear goofy hat type people. Yeah, it doesn't I, feel yeah. natural to you. It's yeah. not natural to us. So Bob, um, let me ask you a question. What, you know, what's, what's the big deal if, um, if I don't reach my potential? Like, let's, let's say I could be doing, you know, so much more, you know, with my life or improving society or something and I don't, you know, so what, what's the danger of that? I mean, for some people, maybe there's none, right? It's just, you know, kind of go through life and, and it is what it is. But I, you know, if you've read a lot, you've heard about what regret looks like for most people, it, it, it seems to really look like the stuff that they didn't do that they knew that they could do. <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're blissfully, peacefully ignorant, you know, at the end of your life of, oh, it's fun, that's great. But I, I, I think, you know, when people talk about the things they really regret, I, I think it's the chances they didn't take the things that they knew where they left capability on the table. Look, we all have different definitions of capability and application in different areas, but I think we know when we maybe did our best and and, and didn't do our best. As hard as I try, I could never do anything scientific. Like I, you know, and at bi biology, like it's just, I have no ability in that area, but there are areas where I do have ability and and I, I, I feel like it would have been a waste of my life to not not use that in some way to try to, make the world a better place. Yeah. So I, I think kind of underlying all this is the assumption that, you know, the people that are reading your book at, or, or, or who care about the philosophy that you're sharing, you know, actually have, you know, to some extent, call it part of their core values or personality or their ethos about life um, being better today than they were yesterday. You know, which for, for me, and I, I think I am guessing that I speak for you too, I mean, is part of the reason for for living. And it's there's a huge difference to me between living and existing. Yeah. And yeah. you know, what you're describing in terms of just this willingness and 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 stretch to to learn more, to give more. Um, I don't know. I mean, to 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 some extent, I hope it's part of the core of being human, at least for most people. Yeah. And, and like everyone, everyone has that choice. And, and look, I don't think someone would pick up and read the book or look at it if they didn't have an inkling. Sometimes I find it funny and see this, you write books like, you know, a one-star review. And I'm like, what about the book? Did you want to read? <laughs> you know, why, why would you read the book if you were so close-minded and didn't want to do anything better or otherwise? I always think it's funny where it should just have a warning page at the beginning saying, look, if you're not even interested in, in or think you can be better, then you may not even want to start this. Just, you know, a, a wrap up question or, or, yeah. or so. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to time stamp this interview by talking about the specifics of recent events, but and and also, you know, um, historically, we we face challenges, um, societal, economic, uh, even world crisis. Um, periodically, it's not, you know, specific only to this particular, um, you know, date and time. But yeah. we have all, as people and professionals, been going through a lot of transition, a lot of, you know fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Uh, and I'm just wondering, does your, does your work um, change at all in any way based on cha challenges and, and stressors, or does it pretty much stay the same all the way through? That's a, that's a good question. I, I think there is more acute focus on certain areas. People, people are, are, are pretty exhausted and mentally worn down right now across the board in every organization, 
that I found. And I think it's a particularly it's a particularly new challenge for leaders, right? Because let's say a year ago, you told me, you know, I started bubbling the feedback up that stress level was high. Well, we would dive into the organizational stuff and say, oh, well, you know what it is? We're having too many meetings or we have this huge end of month thing. And like, this is something that we can fix by fixing the problem that we've created in the organization, right? And, and let's say that stress was kicking in at a level of 75. I'm making up an index of one to 100. Today, stress is kicking in at a 40, you know, not a 75. And it has nothing to do that the organization do anything different. It is this massive weight of what's going on outside and people worried about themselves, kids, homeschooling, not seeing friends. Like it, 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 it's really a, a huge burden on, on people. And so I think you need to dive into, you know, some areas. I think like the physical capacity, like people taking care of their mental health and stress and really focusing on that, but also a little bit like, look, it might not be a time. Some people have to dive into intellectual capacity. Your restaurant was shut down overnight. You better figure out how to learn delivery, you know, or, or you're not going to have any income. But I think also it's, it's back to values a little bit, like in terms of like the big picture stuff is what gets you through this, like trying to remember Hey, what am, what am I trying to do? What can I get out of this? Where am I going? Because if you just look down and put your head in the sand, it, it, it's not going to be pretty right now. I mean, we're this can be a long winter. We've been pretty honest with our employees about this. This is, and people are already really, really fatigued. So there's a lot of conversations going on. There's a lot of checking in with people. Um, it's a really delicate balance for business leaders because on the other hand, you have this personal stuff that is real, but on the other hand, you have this business stuff that needs to be done so you don't have revenue and client risk so you don't have jobs at risk which cause even more stress so i i look i think this is as hard of a balancing act as most leaders might have in their in their career maybe you know for for those who have gone through the exercise of core values and and who do have some sort of a, a structure to elevate they'll weather the storm a little bit better and to the extent that they're suffering this may this kind of construct might actually improve their lives there are some people that are suffering as a manifestation of things that they did not do before this that that they knew weren't core value aligned right so you stayed with that crappy boss in a company where you didn't trust their integrity because you were comfortable and they paid you well. And now that really hurts, right? But it, but it may actually be the thing that gets you out of that company and to the, to the different job or career you should have done years ago. Okay, so you've already given us a lot of gifts, you know, in terms of your own wisdom, but do you wanna leave us with, I don't know, some sort of a conclusion or, you know, thought as we, uh, as we say goodbye to our listeners? Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's a quote that I love, and, and it's really become sort of an operating principle for me. And it's how, how you do anything is how you do everything. And, you know, I, so someone, we actually had a keynote speaker at our company event um, this week, and the, the she climbed Everest, the first all female team to climb Everest. And she was talking about someone dying in the middle of the night and not getting to go and basically thought she I was like, how do I be at my best when things are at their worst? Uh, and, and I and I think for a lot of us, that's the opportunity right now. And and when this gets better, like that, you know, people are going to remember that. Like it really could be defining moment for a lot of people. 
that is that is that is a great way to end this. Thank you so much. Um, I, I I really want to thank you for today's interview. Our guest again was the great Bob Glazer. As always, I'm your host Denise Hummel, and this is the Leading Tomorrow podcast. Be well, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again, Bob. I really appreciate this. Thank you, Denise. Anytime. Thank you.